Well, somehow we have arrived at the week of Thanksgiving, and I imagine that it's going to be different at your house than it was last year, or maybe it won't be at your house, but you're probably not traveling as much or seeing as many people this year as you did last year. I was looking at the California state government website because I heard that they had some very detailed instructions about how people should celebrate Thanksgiving this year. And it had lots of, lots of recommendations. It said, uh, no more than three families or 25 people that there should be six feet of distance between them. They should wear masks all during the meal. The meal should no, shouldn't last more than two hours and, and so forth on and on. Um, all these instructions about how to celebrate Thanksgiving. And you can imagine that would make Thanksgiving uh, a lot different than it was in previous years. And I think, um, the pandemic is, is, is something that makes, uh, Thanksgiving a lot harder this year. I mean, harder both in terms of the things you have to do, but also in terms of your, your feeling thankful, that it's harder to feel thankful this year because, uh, so many things are different about the way we celebrate, uh, Thanksgiving and, and the things we have to celebrate, um, are different. Uh, there, there's a lot of things the pandemic has caused or has, has brought about that have made, uh, being thankful harder in 2020. If you have kids at home or at school and then home and back and forth, depending on whether it's open this week or not, if you've got kids who are struggling to learn online, then that's hard to be thankful for. If you've lost your job or if you've got reduced hours or if you own a business and you're losing money every week, um, it's hard to be thankful for that. Um, if if, of course, you are sick, if you have uh, tested positive and you've got to be quarantined or if you actually become infected and and uh, become ill, th- these are things that, that are hard to be thankful for. The pandemic has, has changed so many things about how we how we um, uh, live that it's hard to be thankful for a lot of things this year. And, of course, the pandemic is only one part of a very big picture. We've had uh, fires and hurricanes and so forth. We were talking to a friend in Oregon, and she was telling us about uh, the the fires and, and the damage that has been done in the area uh, of the Cascades near where she lives uh, because of the, the fires this summer. And uh, we also saw this year there was the the unrest around the the protests about police violence and so forth. We remember George Floyd and Breonna Taylor um, and uh, the the Antifa and BLM uh, uh, protests and and riots. Um, and of course, there was also the election. Uh, politicians doing what politicians always do, but intensified this year because of the the media's hunger for clicks and the social media algorithms that amplify the voices on the extreme and and silence the voices in the center. So um, it was a hard election, and uh, there was just all of the things that happened this year that contribute to make us say, well, well, really, do we have a lot to be thankful for? Should we should we give thanks this year at all? I mean, we can still have a meal, but should we be thankful? What what should we be thankful for? And and who should we be be, th- be thankful to? I mean, if God is in charge of things and what he gives us is 2020, it's hard to say, well, let me be thankful to God about that. And if you've wondered questions like that, if you've, if you've been thinking about Thanksgiving and wondering really what to be thankful for, this is not a new question. It's a question that goes back to the very beginning of Christianity because, because a lot of people have wrestled with this question. How can we be thankful when things are hard? And uh, some of the, some of them were writers of the New Testament. We're going to look at a passage today that Paul wrote about this very issue. So, 
So um, this is not a new question, but Christianity has has answered it maybe in a way that that's different or unfamiliar to you, depending on on your background and and how you think about these things. Christianity has has said that yes. You're, you're not imagining things. That yes, the world is a bad place. There are lots of bad things in this world. It doesn't mean every year is always terrible. There, there are 2019s as well as 2020s, and so so things are are not always um, as bad as they could be. But that there are from time to time bad years, and and that's because the world is a is a is. Um, is a dark place that the world is infected with with darkness and decay and corruption and the the way Christians explain this is they say that this age is an age of decay and corruption and and darkness and it will be replaced in God's timing by a new age where God renews everything where God uh, renews the world and removes from it all of the sources of trouble all of the the things that cause this this age to be uh, less than what we would hope. And so that's been the that, the way that Christians have seen this. Jesus told us that in this world, in, in the age we are living in now, there would be trouble. But he says, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And when Jesus returns, he will inaugurate the, the fullness of the age to come. So, so Christianity believes in this idea of two, two ages, our current age and the age to come. But that raises the question, What's the holdup? Why the delay? If, if God can change the world, if God can remove all of the troubles that, that we encounter, all of the things that make life difficult, why doesn't He do it? What's, what's the delay? And the answer that Christianity has for that is, is not a pleasant answer, but it's, I think most people would recognize that there is a truth in it. It is that this age has, has affected us that that we have become uh, uh damaged by the the brokenness in the world around us uh, if you think of the pandemic for example uh we we saw at the the beginning of the pandemic that that we had a supply chain that was that was too fragile and it was too lean there weren't proper stockpiles of ppe and and uh that there were uh critical medicines that were coming from overseas and when travel was was uh uh restricted uh that it made it that much more difficult for people get, to get the medicine they needed that that the the pandemic was at fault it wasn't anybody's fault that the pandemic occurred but the decisions of people contributed to how bad the, the pandemic um, uh, affected us. And that happened at a societal level, but we know it also happens at an individual level. Uh, it's not your fault if, if a virus uh, begins infecting people. That's not anybody's fault. But we can ask ourselves, am I as healthy as I should be? Am I ready to take on a virus the way our society could have been ready to deal with a pandemic? Uh, have I been eating healthy? Have I been getting enough exercise and vitamin D and all the things they're telling us that we need to do? Uh, 50% of, uh, I'm sorry, 40% of this country suffers from obesity. And we know that that's one of the comorbidities that, that makes the, the pandemic that much more difficult for people. So we can ask ourselves, have I been getting the exercise I need? Have I been eating a healthy diet? Because these are ways that I am contributing to the problem. It's not my fault that I live in a world with pandemics and, and, and viruses, but the way I live in it 
is something that I have some responsibility for. That, that if, um, if my uh, work has been affected, if I've got reduced hours or if I'm losing my savings, then we can ask ourselves, um, again, it's not my fault that the pandemic occurred, but could I have uh, done things with my with my money beforehand? Could I have changed the way I dealt with my finances that would have made me more resilient in the face of these troubles? Uh, our politics, uh, if, if I was more willing to listen to people with different points of view, if I was less... Uh, interested in hearing my own biases uh, confirmed for me, then maybe my politics or, or our politics would be better. There's a lot of ways that, that we believe that this age's decay and corruption has not simply affected us, it has infected us. If there was a swab test you could perform to say, have you been affected by the darkness in this world, and they put it up your nose, we would all we would all test positive for the darkness in this age. That's that's what Christianity believes. And so we say, if God was to get rid of all of the trouble in this world, if God was to get rid of everything that is bad in this world, it would include us. So that's the reason, or, or that's certainly a part of the reason, that that God has delayed, that, that God wants everyone to be saved. And uh, when, when people are uh, caught up in the corruption of this world, that's one of the reasons that the New Testament tells us God has delayed. But Christianity also offers us a hope. It says that if we are infected, if this world has not merely affected us, it has infected us, it also offers the hope that there is a cure, that we can be cured of what ails us, and then we will be suited for the world that God will inaugurate when Jesus returns. And that's what we're going to read about today. There's there's many passages in the scriptures that talk about this, but we're going to read one from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. Colossae was a town in uh, the western part of what is today Turkey in Asia Minor. So Paul wrote this letter to this church, and in it he begins with a prayer. Uh, it's a pretty long prayer. We're going to pick up in the middle of the prayer. But Paul begins with a prayer, and then he talks about why he's confident, what gives him the confidence that God will answer that prayer. So, so he begins by saying, May you be strengthened through his glorious might, so you endure everything and have patience. He says that this is not your problem to, to, to be strong. He's not saying, hey, uh, uh, buck up, uh, tough it out, be strong. He's saying that God will make you strong, that, that his prayer is that God will make people strong, not just through their own effort, but through his glorious might. And that if they have that strength, they can endure everything and have patience. God's saying, or Paul is say, uh, saying, um, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul is telling us that that the viruses are out there, that the, the world has problems. There's viruses, there's, there's, uh, uh, all of the, the things that conspire to make a, the, the world difficult. Uh, those things are part of this world, but we don't have to get rid of them. We, we don't have to solve those problems. Um, we simply have to endure them. God's got that. God will take care of that. But he says, endure things. Endure them with patience. Now, the way Christians have interpreted this, is that, that means we can be at work on them. But we don't have to be uh, 
crushed if we aren't able to eliminate all the disease in the world. We can certainly work on vaccines. We've, we've done that for smallpox and measles and so many others. Uh, and we hope soon one for, for SARS-CoV-2, the, the COVID virus. We hope that there will be vaccines for these. We can, we can work to improve the world, but we don't have to be crushed if the world still has more viruses out there. If next year there's a new virus or, or there's a new, uh, forest fire or whatever, we don't have to be crushed that we still live in a world with hardship and, and, and troubles. Uh, we can simply endure them as we work on the, the things that, pre- that, that present themselves to us each day. So, so he says, you will be strengthened by God's glorious might, so you can endure everything and have patience, that we can have patient endurance. But he also says that we can give thanks. We can give thanks with joy to the Father. Why should we do that? Why, why can we give thanks? He says, he says that that is, that is his prayer, but now he transitions to why we can. And it's not something that may happen. It's not something that God may do if this prayer is granted. Um, it's something that God has already done. He says, he made it, he, the Father, made it so you could take part in the inheritance in light granted to God's holy people. He says that God has already qualified us for the age to come, that, that we have been cured, that, that if we are infected with the, the trouble in this world, God has administered the cure to us. And we, uh, part of, part of getting stronger is, is that that cure will become more evident in our lives. So he says, he's made us so that we can take part in the inheritance uh, granted to God's holy people. And he gives two more uh, uh, ways of thinking about the same thing. He said he rescued us from the control of darkness. He rescued us from this age and has transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He says this is, again, this is something God has already done. This is not something that we have to achieve on our own power. It's not something we have to behave our way into. It's something that God has already done. So he's... he's um, qualified us for this inheritance, the the age to come, and he's rescued us from the current age. And then a last way he looks at it is he says, he sets us free through the Son, he sets us free from the control of darkness, and he forgave our sins. That Jesus has done everything that's needed to clear to clear the slate, that we don't have any record that stands against us. Um uh that that all of these pictures of what God has already done um are things we can be thankful for that that if if we are infected with the the problems of this world God has already administered the cure to us and then he quotes what scholars tell us is a song of the ancient church he's he's reminding them this is things that that you know this is things that you you celebrate every time you come together in worship what is that and he 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 quotes this hymn that they had he said, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation. He says, he says that the sun, Jesus, is the icon, the image of God. He represents the invisible God. He shows us what God is like. He shows us what God is, is doing and what God has already done. And he begins with the idea of creation. He says that, he says that the, the reason we can have confidence in the, the coming age that we don't we don't have to despair that this age is is going to go on interminably that it will just that it never end we can we can have confidence in that because because the sun is the the agent of creation that god used to bring about creation he is the one who is first over all creation because all things were created by him 
both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He says that, that, uh, the son, the, the, the eternal son of the father is the, the source of all of these things, the, the things that are visible, the, the, the material world we, we are part of, the, the earth and space and stars and galaxies, that, but also things that are invisible, the spiritual realm. And he includes, um, thrones and powers, rulers and authorities, all the sources of trouble in the world, um, that, that these things are created through him and for him, that he has authority over all of them. And he concludes by saying he existed before all things and all things are held together in him. They don't have any, any independent existence that, that God made this world and it only exists because God continues to will that it exists, that it, that, um, they don't, they don't have any authority apart from what God has, has allowed them. So he says, the Son has authority over creation, and that is why we can have confidence in the new creation. He says, he, Jesus, the Son, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. The beginning. Uh, the, the idea of the head here is like the, the origin, the place where things begin. You know, before I go someplace, I think about going someplace. Uh, the word head is like, uh, in our word headwater. If you have a river, um, the headwater is where it begins. So he is the head of the body, the church. That new creation is coming into this age through the church. That he is the beginning, the one who is first born from among the dead, so that he might occupy the first place in everything. He says that Jesus has already been raised, that the new creation is already present in the world through Christ in his, in his resurrection and through the church of which he is the origin. So he is the head. He is the place where, where God's, um, uh, resurrection, uh, the, the age to come, where the, the new age is coming into this world. He says, because, verse 19, because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens. He brought peace through the blood of his cross. What Paul's saying here is that, is that, uh, Jesus in his resurrection is introducing uh, that that uh, age to come already uh, in this world that that it's not easy to spot, but we will get glimpses of it. Particularly those of us in the church, we will see His power, the fullness of God, uh, working itself out in us. And more than that, He has reconciled all things to Himself through Him. That God has reconciled uh, us to Him uh, to God through Christ. That he is not simply uh, flowing his power out through through Christ and into the uh, church and into the world, but he is drawing the world through the church back to himself. So he says these are things that are already evident. They're not they're not obvious, but they are evident. Uh, Jesus talks about the way the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. He says it's like yeast in a batch of dough. Um, it's like a seed growing in the ground. You can't see it, but it's already there and it's already at work changing the, the world for the better. And it will continue uh, until Jesus returns and brings about the fullness of the age to come. So these are the reasons that we can have confidence. God has already done these things. And that's why Paul knew that he could, he could make this prayer 
confidently uh, that that in confidence that God would grant this prayer. He says, he says, may you be strengthened. He knows that they can be strengthened, and, and we know it too. We know that the people that Paul makes these assurances to can be strengthened because that first church experienced it. They made copies of it. They circulated it with other churches. And over the course of the next 200, 300 years, this document became included in what is now our New Testament today. It's the, the testimony of people who read this document and said, yeah, that actually describes what's been going on in my life. Now, does that mean we will never experience any of the troubles of this world? No. Uh, the, the idea here is that we're enduring, not that we are no longer indicating any sign that the world has affected us. Paul talks in, in one of his other letters, he talks about the way that he had a thorn in the flesh. There was something, some bad part of this current age that was afflicting him. And he prayed that God would remove it, and, and God didn't. So so we know that, that uh, the struggle continues, but we will endure it. And we know we can also give thanks because Paul said in a letter to a church in Philippi, he said, you don't have to be anxious about anything, but you can bring our requests to God in our prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving. And then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. This is the experience of Paul, and it's the experience of the early church, and it's the experience of countless Christians down through the years until our current age. So we know we can endure. We will be given strength from his glorious might so we can endure and we can even give thanks. We can give thanks this Thursday. We can give thanks in the face of a pandemic, in the face of electoral politics. We can give thanks over Zoom. We can give thanks online. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see the troubles in this world. It's, it's so obvious, all of the problems in this world, in our, in our lives, in our finances, in our health. There, there's so many ways, Lord, that the troubles are evident. But we are confident that your kingdom is already breaking into the world, that Jesus has, has initiated the very beginnings of the age to come, and that they are flowing out through him into the church and out through the, through the church into the world. And we are confident that he has reconciled us to you. And as a result, the world is being brought closer to you. Lord, give us the patient endurance that Paul talks about as we wait for the coming of your kingdom. And help us, even in these times of troubles, to have joy, to give thanks with joy. We pray all these things through Christ our Savior. Amen.